Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving. But of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, Try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined once again on a qualifying Saturday night by Meg Schuster. Meg, hello. Hello. So excited to be here. You just bounced on the sausage curbs I jumped up and down on them a few times just to give them the old test, Uh, but they did send certified track personnel through after to actually tighten the screws, so... Yeah. Um, apparently my my once over was not needed, but I just love seeing four guys just with screws, just sort of with uh, drills, just go around just fixing a track where <laughs> basically rocket ships go around the next day. <laughs> this whole thing is duct tape and drills. Yes. And it's unbelievable. We are That's also joined learned. by our buddy, two time guest Scott Mitchell, mom from the race, one of the hardest working guys in F one. What's going on, brother? And um, I'm I'm all good. It's uh, Qualifying day is always hectic, but super exciting. Obviously, it's the best, I think it's the best part of the weekend. Drivers are on the limit. Cars look their best. That's awesome. The real heads, if I was a celebrity, I would come on Saturday. Mm. Because it's there's less people. You still get competitive racing. You still get high-strung drivers. You still get drivers who are upset, excited. I mean, seeing... Uh, you know, Alpine celebrate today was very cool. Seeing Aston Martin waiting out and and basically uh, cheering on Fernando Alonso after his P two uh, that was that was exciting to me. And also, you just don't get. I mean, tomorrow is going to be insane, insane. <laughs> um, all right, Meg, take us through what happened in qualifying today. Crazy, crazy qualifying today. I wouldn't believe it if I wasn't staring at it in front of my computer screen right now to read to you all. Checo takes first, Fernando Alonso second, Carlos Sainz third, which is just for me personally, a top 10 podium of excitement. I'm very, very eager to see how that trio plays out tomorrow. Uh, Kevin Magnuson in fourth, which was my surprise of the day, pleasant surprise of the day. Pierre Gasly fifth, George Russell sixth, Charles Leclerc seventh after his uh, second spin out at turn seven of the weekend. Uh, And then we have Esteban Ocon eighth, Max Verstappen ninth after he botched his uh, Q3. And then Valtteri Botas 10th, big Botas weekend. So obviously Verstappen wasn't able to do the last lap, which is which is crucial. Um, and there's so much to get through when you have such a jumbled up grid, Scott. And I want to start here with Leclerc because he's the one that made the mistake that red flagged the whole thing and and got us this grid. He afterwards came to us. All three of us were, were in the media session. And he basically said, I'm taking more chances than I used to. And he said, typically that comes out okay nine out of ten times. I would 
argue with that, that it does, <laughs> maybe the conversion rate is, rate is a little lower at this point. Um, let's start here. Where is his head at right now? Because I think that we're going to see the more pushing on the edge we get, the more we're going to see this kind of stuff. Same corner, same, I mean, we, we, Meg and I were doing the track walk earlier and we went to that corner, a lot of tire skids and a lot of, it was a lot and of them all from them Ferrari. from one person. <laughs> I think it's like, um, any, I think anyone uh, remembers uh, Charles' first season with Ferrari where he put it in the wall in Baku. Yes. I think his mindset is very much in the I am stupid mode. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think that's, I think that's where it is. It, it all goes back to that. It's the classic Leclerc really frustrated with yeah. himself, really self-critical. He he doesn't hold back. And I can kind of get why that might be some some form of frustration for some people because they're like, okay, yeah, I've had enough now of you saying you're an idiot and you should have done a better job. Do a better job. Stop mm -hmm. crashing. Like I get that. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing with Leclerc and the way he drives and the it's basically two sides of the same coin. The driver that is able to put in a lap like he did in Baku last weekend and get pole that's why that same driver can crash in Miami and mm -hmm. qualify. And he lives on the edge. He's got property there. Like that's basically <laughs> where, where he does his best work. And when he says he's taking risks, he's taking more risks at the moment, partly because the Ferrari's not as fast as the Red Bull. And mm -hmm. he sees an opportunity to do something special in qualifying. If he's willing to go that extra 0.1% closer to the edge than, than anybody else. So that's part of it. But it's also just part of who he is and, and how he drives. He's incredibly Larry he's, he's just he's an extreme driver mm -hmm. and that, that you take the good with the bad with, with that unfortunately I, I don't think you could ever tame him enough to stop these mistakes and still get the peaks I'm going to ask an incredibly like overreaching question because we're talking about qualifying we're talking about one more <laughs> or less one lap but what you just said piqued my interest is the type of driver he is does that preclude him from being the type of guy you think can be a championship driver it's in, it's it's it is the question oh with okay Leclerc. yeah it really is and you saw it saw it last year like where when he crashed out in france and he and verstappen funnily enough a few months later both admitted that they felt that that was the moment they mm -hmm. knew where the title was was going and it, it was kind of taken as oh that's the proof you know when leclerc's in a title fight he makes too many mistakes he crashes out but at Every driver makes mistakes over a season. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, Leclerc can make some high-profile and particularly costly ones. But I think the nature of mistake that he makes comes, you know, every driver has weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And his is that he lives on the edge. And when you when you flirt with danger like that, mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. it, you know, the, the worst-case scenario happens. So I think when he gets it wrong, he gets it wrong in a big way. Whereas other drivers maybe make smaller mistakes here and there. Like, for example, both those two drivers, Leclerc and Verstappen, messed up qualifying mm -hmm. but Verstappen did it in a slightly subtle I've made a mistake I've backed out I've aborted my first lap and then I don't get my second lap in because Leclerc shunted mm -hmm. but Verstappen still botched qualifying yeah. but he just didn't put it in the wall right. I, I'm not saying they're the same quantity or scale of mistake but they're both errors so I think until we see Leclerc go the distance over a year and see if he does avoid those costly mistakes like we're never going to get that answer I think he can win a title driving like this mm -hmm. But he would have to have to rein himself in at the very end because if he's absolutely neck and neck with someone, I'm putting money on Leclerc crashing more than I am Verstappen, mm -hmm. for example. There was a masterclass that I really want to shout out before your question, Meg, which was from Crofty and Brundle. When, when Leclerc started his lap, Brundle was <laughs> kind of building it up and saying, 
low fuel, you know, high engines, giving it your all. And he says, this is epic. And then the clear immediately crashes. <laughs> and Crofty just goes, oh, this is no epic at all. <laughs> and it was just such a good, uh, it was it, it was just I, uh, a masterpiece in broadcasting. And I just, I just want to shout out how good those guys are at their jobs. They are very, very epic. One thing that I've, I've been mulling over with LeClaire lately, and this is just more of a theory than anything else, is that it feels like to me qualifying is his race right now. Like he feels like this is where he has the best one lap pace of anyone. He knows that he can't keep up with Red Bull over the course of an entire 57, however many laps. And it feels like he is, like he said today, he has the riskiest possible car set up for this weekend. He was taking all of the possible chances he could in Q3 because I think getting pulls seems like winning for him right now. And I don't know if that seems valid to you, Scott, or what, but it, it just feels like that is his entire goal at the moment, knowing the the long-term position that his car is in. I think it's that element of, uh, right, how do you get track position? Because track position is absolutely everything. And he's not going to get track position by mm -hmm. catching and passing a Red Bull mm -hmm. in a Grand Prix. He just isn't. But if he can get ahead of one right. in the race, maybe he can hold on. And in Azerbaijan, that was never going to happen. Mm -hmm. like, you're so vulnerable there. You've got that super long straight and the Red Bull is apparently the fastest car in a straight line <laughs> in the history of Formula One. So you, he's a sitting duck there. But here, and there's been all this noise over the course of this weekend about shorter drag reduction system zones and, oh, overtaking is going to be impossible, blah, blah, blah. You kind of think, okay, I think what he was looking at was I probably can't beat Verstappen. Mm -hmm. Pero, Perez is not looking great he's been a bit vulnerable he's, he's been a little bit off i can split them here i can mm -hmm. get on the front row mm -hmm. and his race isn't to win it's can i get on the podium mm -hmm. and the best way to do that is to start as far forward as possible obviously he knows that his direct rival for a podium is aston martin and they are way better in race trim right they can manage their tires right. way better than the ferrari so I, I think you're absolutely right his race is saturday because that's where he can win his race on sunday he then needs to do an absolute stunning job on Sunday to then manage it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I don't think he has a chance unless he's ahead. So he puts all of his eggs in the qualifying basket. Sometimes that goes right like it did in Baku. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that goes very badly wrong. <laughs> I have a question off of something you mentioned, which is what Aston Martin does well. Because a lot of times, maybe it's just an NBA, NFL trope, but whenever somebody gets good, whenever the Buffalo Bills get good, the next question is what lessons can, can teams learn from this? And how do they build their roster? That kind of thing. And I guess my question is, Aston Martin has come a long way in a, in a relatively quick amount of time in a sport where that's very hard to do. And I guess the question is, if I'm, if I'm buying Williams tomorrow, if I, if I corner Jeff Bezos as he walks through the paddock in the 30 seconds he's available in the public eye and say, give me a few billion dollars to buy Williams, what can I glean from Aston Martin's improvement that, uh, that is tangible? I'm glad that you said you caveated that with bumping into someone like Bezos because I'm sitting here thinking, no, he's sitting on F1 team money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I mean, listen. <laughs> they pay you good here. Spotify stock. Let's go, baby. <laughs> I think um, I think the thing with uh, with Aston Martin is a lesson in um, first of all team building and talent acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, they've gone around the best teams in in Formula One and they've cherry picked leading aerodynamicists and technical mm -hmm. personnel, highly rated people, and, and throwing them together. But they've also then done a very good job of then, you know, molding all of that into a cohesive team that mm -hmm. actually produces ideas. So they have this they have this vision, they have the resources, and now they have the personnel where they had the presence of mind to view it as a long-term project and just bring everything together and then chip away at it. 
They also made the decision last year, changed the car concept massively in season, spend a load of time and money on that mm -hmm. to ready themselves better for this year. So I think there's just, I think what other teams can can learn in particular is, first of all, you're going to need money. Mm -hmm. like you right. are just going to need money, whether right. that's for resources because they're building a whole new factory, they're going to have their own wind tunnel for the first time. For Fernando Alonso. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I can only imagine that a massive salary was part mm -hmm. of the reason that you can manage at the time, Aston Martin were ninth in the championship, second mm -hmm. last. Mm -hmm. And Alonso's Alpine team were fourth and much closer to winning a race or whatever. And they managed to convince him to join. So mm -hmm. that must have come with a you know pretty hefty uh, uh, salary on a multi-year deal. So you need the cash, definitely. You need um, the other infrastructure, facilities, resources. But you need a vision. You need the right people in place. Otherwise, you end up with big money being spent and absolutely no results. And F1 over the last 20, 30 years is, is littered with examples of manufacturers that came in, spent a fortune and achieved absolutely nothing. Hey, who's the biggest bust in F1 history in that regard? It's uh, <laughs> Toyota or Ford when Ford had uh, the Jaguar team um, at the start oh, of the 2000s. Yeah. So it's either of those, but I think pound for pound or dollar for dollar, Toyota, 100%, uh, like a billion dollar flop. <laughs> R.I.P. Bozo. Wow. <laughs> um, how many overly positive and generous messages do you think we're going to get from Fernando tomorrow to Lance, given that Lance is starting P18 and Fernando is up in P2? I don't think we've got, I don't think Fernando's in good guy Fernando mode this weekend. I think he's in, I'm going to absolutely wail on my former team <laughs> mode i think he's had i think there have been at least two that doesn't well, that doesn't sound like fernando are you sure you get the right guy <laughs> holding a grudge i don't think so i think there's been at least two moments this weekend where he's just absolutely reveled in pointing out that the team he left behind are a bit rubbish <laughs> like i i think he's i think he's just in i think he's just been in, in that headspace i'm sure by the grand prix tomorrow he's in you're, you're right like the the thing he did in in, in baku about the brake balance change mm -hmm. uh, and then he explained that afterwards saying he thinks that lance can lead this team for like the next 10 or 15 years it's like yeah and then lance follows it up with a not making it out of q1 finished. i mean maybe i mean if 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 daddy lawrence makes him team principal maybe he can lead this team for the next 10 or 15 there you years go. i don't that, think i floated Paul. that earlier i floated that earlier if it becomes untenable he will just become sort of a figurehead team principal they can't not have him be in some huge role in the team he'll be there he'll do something won't he and he'll probably command like a really good salary for it <laughs> Like Daniel Snyder paying himself $6 million to yep. use the, the team logo. Sounds about um, right. Everybody loves nepotism. So it's upsetting to me that Lewis Hamilton would get 13th and he would be an afterthought in this podcast, that we wouldn't be leading with it, um, that we'd make Fernando Alonso jokes before that. This is the first time, I believe, on American soil he hasn't gotten in a Q3, mm -hmm. um, which just shows you how long of, of a dominant stretch it's been. It's getting a little sad. It's getting a little sad. And he's such a, um, obviously a force in the world of sport and he's such a magnetic personality and people still, you know, f flock to him. Even though I would say the biggest flock of fans today was for, it was people outside the Red Bull garage looking for Elon Musk. I don't know if they were trying to do like a, <laughs> trying to pitch him on their business deal, fans but there were a lot or of- or the opposite? <laughs> uh, it, I'm, Did they have pitchforks? <laughs> no, I have to be totally honest with you. We're in the F1 paddock, yeah, which is- true. It's a lot of people with with like like five minute business plans, probably like people who've paid to be here. So they probably just wanted to talk. They wanted Elon well, to say he's looking into it. Are you suggesting that the type of person that would spend a load of money to come to an F one race is the type of person that would pay for Twitter Blue? <laughs> I may have said that offline uh, <laughs> last night to somebody else, and um, now but, you've said it online. <laughs> yeah, now I've said it online. Um, 
I just think there's an overlap. There is an overlap. Um, the Venn diagram is is nearly whole. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not I actually don't hate people who who paid for Twitter blue. It's totally fine. I'm just saying I think that there were some blue checks in the paddock today. That's all. Yeah, I should definitely caveat with I'm not saying that people who pay to come to Formula One races are idiots. I just think there is a there is definitely a band of people within that who have a little, think, bit, more, a little bit more money They used to be called Thinkfluencers online. And I think that they're, they're, oh they're among us here in Miami. Um, so let's get to, to Hamilton. Um, wh- where does this go? What are their expectations? I mean, we talked yesterday on, on the pod about how George basically came out and said, like, can't wait to race Aston Martin this weekend. Like, we've gotten there. But if you're Lewis Hamilton, um, what is there to look forward to? Well, um, on track. The, the, uh, <laughs> nothing until the new upgrade comes. Yeah. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, at the moment, he's and he and George, they're they're representing the efforts of what, nearly two thousand people back back at base who are you know working their backsides off. They're, they're, it's not like you know, Mercedes aren't where they are because the teams you know not not putting it, putting the effort in. They're they're trying their hardest, and they're also they've recognised weaknesses that they're trying to improve. But those improvements haven't made it to the track yet. So mm-hmm. so. You can't expect anything to magically change in the interim. The car's no different. That that car is still the car that they realised two months ago isn't going to be good enough to achieve anything this season. And I think what what I think what's happened is they've come here and it's just way worse here than they ever expected it to be. Like they they know that if that car's not absolutely bang on its maximum, it's going to struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. This was so far below. I think what they thought the sort of basement of level of performance was for that car. And Lewis just, I think, genuinely got a bit unlucky in in qualifying. I felt like he had mm-hmm. the edge on 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 George for for pace. Um, it was it comes down to that that final run. His mm-hmm. um, preparation lap isn't absolutely perfect. I think he was a little bit annoyed with the the positioning. Maybe if he'd been let let on track a little bit sooner, he would have been able to manage that outlap a bit better mm-hmm. and then nail that final lap. But we're yeah. talking the difference between the guy starting 13th and maybe mm-hmm. starting 8th or 9th because mm-hmm. George is only where he is on the grid because of how ridiculous Q3 was. Right. He's George is 9th or 10th in that session if that plays out normally. that That's just where that car is. It's just not a good car here. So Gasly gets 5th. And it was interesting because I ran into someone earlier today, a journalist who said, we're a week away from the narrative. Did Oscar Piastri choose wrong? And um, I'm moving that timeline up. I'm starting that right now. I've been ready. (laughs) um, Because I think that Meg and I have been laughing all day about the TV interview with Lando Norris, where the uh, presenter said, you know, expecting a better day today. And Lando was like, not really. No. Uh, we over we overachieved, um, which is a very funny thing to say uh, when you are in don't even you know, don't even sniff anything. I mean, I think uh, the race engineer came over the I believe to talk to Piastri and just said P twenty, but it's tight. Which is like no, the that best. was Logan. Oh, it was that Logan. Was to oh, Logan. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Logan, Logan got back in the garage after his his final lap, and he was like, "Oh, did, like did we make it through?" And, yeah. and they were like, "P twenty, no, but it's tight." No, yeah. And then he was like, "Wait." It, he like realized on his own that it was P20 and then he was like, yeah, but but it's a tight race. You know, everyone's within I, and, a second and a half. It <laughs> goes back to my biggest point is that race engineers' ability to sugarcoat information <laughs> is their number one thing. It bodes poorly for McLaren that you mixed up the guy who has been well, knocked out a in British Q1. Accent. It's possible Logan Sargent had a British Br- Obviously, Piastri is Australian, but I thought it was an accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, oh. I, th- I think just, Logan just sounded dejected enough yeah, that to like... have it, an accent <laughs> it come sad, through. It was a sad person speaking in some variant of English. So. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so point being, McLaren is just having a disaster class yes. and, and Alpine is not. And let's just kind of take stock of where McLaren is after a day like today. 
Yeah, they're um, I think uh, in a in a really bad place this this weekend. They had the really significant car upgrade last week mm-hmm. in 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 Baku, and and it seemed to work quite well there. They wouldn't have scored points without it. Um, and I would have expected it to work better here because the whole point of that new floor that they've got, and they've also got a new part on the rear wing of the car, is meant to improve the aerodynamic, what's called aerodynamic efficiency. So they they have lots of downforce or lots more downforce when they go through the corners, but then that downforce doesn't turn into drag in a straight line, mm-hmm. which has been their problem so far this year. So mm-hmm. if they have if they run the car in a way that is actually capable of going around corners, then they're going to be absolutely slow as anything in in a straight line. With this upgrade, they were meant to go quicker through the corners and quicker down the straights, which, you know, overall is probably an upgrade. And they're just nowhere. And I don't know if they're I don't know if they've been caught out by the new track surface here and they haven't got the tires in the right window. I don't know if they've messed up on setup and gone in the wrong direction. But that car's nowhere. So I think it's the worst it's look all season. Meg, anything from the uh the comments downstairs when we we're talking about the drivers stand out to you? Um <sighs> Let's see. I loved uh, Valtteri seemed very, very pleased today. Um, They had talked after the race, you know, just about about the setup, about the track. And he felt like the track was, you know, doing what it was supposed to. He said it was still a bit difficult to overtake around the racing line, which was a big, a big deal last year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they resurfaced the track to get over that. But he also said that he didn't really feel like they he needed rain tomorrow to make it make some noise, which I was encouraged to hear because Alfa Romeo Romeo has had a a rough time of it lately and him coming in P10 I think was very encouraging for him at least I hope it is yeah I always love to see him up there Scott anything downstairs that uh that that piqued your interest you were talking to you're talking to Verstappen a couple other guys Hmm. yeah Verstappen's always interesting to talk to when things don't go right which obviously is very rare these days um I think there's an element of there's obviously an element of frustration and he is upset with himself because you can always um you, you can always expect a driver to kind of make a bit of an excuse when there's been that red flag and you don't get that lap in and he ends up where he ends up in, in ninth, I think. But ultimately, if they not messed up the first lap and we, we call it the banker lap, like that's the reason you have two runs, you mm-hmm. get a good lap in in the first one and then you give everything in the second. Max didn't do that. So he put himself in a position to be vulnerable to the kind of thing. And a track like this, which is quite difficult, it is punishing offline. The walls are quite close. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Leclerc didn't act, Leclerc managed to crash into the wall at the one part of the track that has quite a bit of runoff. <laughs> um, so it was very impressive. So Max was basically the architect of his own downfall. Mm-hmm. And I think that came across in why he wasn't so angry, because I do have this little bit of a theory with Max that um, Red Bull racing mistakes are inexcusable. Max Verstappen mistakes he can kind of let those go. Oh, we'll get I like next that. Time. <laughs> I like that. His hands are clean. Yeah. Well, I think like he, so he can admit that he made an error, but then he's just like, oh, there's no point. In Horner, doing it. Horner, Christian Horner beats the allegations. He's good. He's all <laughs> set. But it's like, like last yeah. year, I think it was uh, Singapore. He was yeah. so angry after they messed up qualifying and didn't put enough fuel in the car that mm-hmm. apparently Max skipped the debrief afterwards because he was like, I'm angry. We know what went wrong. There's no point in talking. Walked off. He's made the mistake now. What if he goes back into the debrief room in Rebel Racing and like, 30 engineers just go, nah, chief, you messed yeah. up. We're out. <laughs> yeah. Just walk off. Go, we're back to the hotel. See you in the morning. <laughs> what if they did that just one time? Just, just once. once. Just to prove a point. Just would once. Would be incredible. Would be incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting. I have a stupid question. Why don't more drivers try to put their best lap at the start of Q3? I understand the fuel thing. I understand the fuel thing. But like, it just seems like waiting until the last minute leaves the door open to things that would happen today like today 
and you can put more pressure on drivers if you just go out and have a gangbusters lap and they could lead to more Leclerc-esque kind of overruns like we saw today. Like maybe I'm just crazy, but I would just experiment with not waiting until two minutes to go in Q3. You know so much more about F1, so I'm just going to just trust the experts here. But I just had that thought today where it's like, wait, why do we do this? No, no, it's a, it's a valid question. And, and like I say, you, you've got pressure on you to do a good job on the right. first lap. You can't just phone that lap in right. and just be like, that's fine. I'll do it at 90% and get one on the board. You still have to pretty much nail it. But I think what the difference is, is first of all, the way the way it works on some F1 tracks, and especially here because you've got the new surface and it's been getting grippier the more that they've run. In a qualifying session, when everybody goes out on the softest tyres, they're laying more rubber down, the cars are the lightest they've been all weekend, the drivers are learning fractions every time they run in the car. The track's getting a little bit faster every time they run on track, uh, a car goes round. So there's all these like marginal gains to be found. So you go out for the first run and you you do leave yourself a tiny bit of margin because you don't want to put it in the wall, you don't want to mess up or whatever. And there's also like a little, still a little bit to learn. But that last run, everything's on the table. There's no more, you don't have to bring the car back out again. So it is. it can be all or nothing. So mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. I think you take it to like 99.99% on the first run. But every driver just always seems to have that tiny little bit in reserve. And sometimes they go over. So I think we do genuinely see more mistakes on that final run in Q3 because mm -hmm. the drivers just go, ah, let's just go. It's like a <laughs> yeah, Hail Mary. Yeah, yeah. Like that's just that's just how it works. Unfortunately, you're right. When If you put all your eggs in that basket, it, it backfires on you. And it, it bit Max in the backside today. Um, we haven't talked about Checo yet. Who, who, who is, got the pole? Who got oh, pole him? position? And I just, I just want to throw this out there because it seemed like Max was saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, that his kind of like where he's envisioning himself finishing tomorrow is up in the podium, not necessarily victory. minimum second. Oh, okay, minimum. Minimum. Second. How interesting! How interesting! But Checo is only six points back of Max. If he wins this weekend, it will be huge for him for his confidence going forward, and. I, like, I know he doesn't have the same level of pace as Max. This weekend, he certainly didn't through free practices. He doesn't on, you know, the more traditional non-street tracks. But where do you think Red Bull goes with this if Checo comes out of this, you know, leading or within a point or two of Max after this weekend? And this is something Christian had talked about earlier in the week and just saying, like, you know, we're trying to keep everything very transparent. We don't want to let paranoia creep in with these guys as they're battling one another. And Toto got asked the same question and had to go back to his uh, Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton training to answer. But I'm, I'm just really curious what Red Bull does if Max leaves this weekend not in the championship lead. The the the, the key thing that you mentioned there was was that paranoia quote from mm -hmm. Warner. That's that's the thing they need to avoid is no paranoia creeping in and the moments where a driver starts to question why are certain decisions being taken or why aren't you favoring me? And I think with Red Bull it would be the Verstappen camp will be, wow, come on, you know he's the better driver. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you favoring him? Mm -hmm. Like last year when Checo won in Monaco and the next day Max Verstappen's dad's writing a blog <laughs> on his own website and <laughs> criticizing the team for not putting Max first, which is just insane. Um, and also just just like really petty. Mm -hmm. um, on Checo's side, it's it, the paranoia comes from, are they actually giving me a fair crack or right. are they favoring right. Max? The, the thing that I think will help Red Bull from this weekend if Checo wins and if, if he wins he will take the championship lead because he will gain at least six points on Max because Max could get the fastest lap in, in, in second mm -hmm. and Checo would have more wins. Mm -hmm. So Checo 
wins the race leads the championship. Red Bull will know that the only reason Max didn't win the race is because Max messed up. Right. But if there's a moment in the Grand Prix where Max might be able to win mm -hmm. and Red Bull drop the ball on a pit stop or strategy mm -hmm. or there's a re reliability problem, then Max will just explode. Scorched so, earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. I think if Red Bull come out of this knowing that the only reason Max isn't in top sure. of the championship is because of Max, they're protected from any kind of Max aggro or, you know, there's 10 days before they're back in a paddock again. You don't mm -hmm. want anything to sort of like fester behind the scenes or right. whatever. I think that, I think I think they're safe for a little bit if that happens. Mm -hmm. If they get something wrong, well, I don't want to. I don't. I wouldn't want to be in that team. <laughs> the editor of Verstappen.com is signing Ghost Verstappen a piece as we speak. I actually looked up the URL. The URL of the column was on was news.verstappen.com, which yeah, I go was. to for all of my. Do you think they're hiring? <laughs> Asking <laughs> for a friend. <laughs> All of that Are sweet, you going to be the editor, our news. articles editor at news.verstappen.com? Just Verstappen's personal editor. I can't wait. God, that would be a nightmare. Do you think he files on time? Uh, when he's mad, yeah. <laughs> when he when he needs to, to undermine Checo Perez, he files uh, early and often. Do you think they filed the copy in all caps? Yeah. <laughs> I am shouting this as actually, I type That's this. actually the hardest that thing. Would, to, that would be that's a actually real the pain because I'd have to go through and just retype the whole that's thing. That's the hardest edit there is. Oh, boy. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Uh, anything else that we haven't gotten to, Scott, that has piqued your interest over this weekend? I mean, it sounds like there's less complaints about the track, but I don't think no one's been like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, people like being here in, in South Florida and, and kind of, you know, I think that they all circle what's on the calendar. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. You see this much more often. I feel like the first year, the drivers are kind of just trying to bully them into making the changes they want. So it's a track that they like. And so I think the second year, there's a bit more of an air of resignation. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but it just seems like everyone just kind of settled on what this track is. 
I think in the first year, there's probably an element of, um, well, there's an opportunity here to yes. try and change it. Yes. But once you once you go back a second or a third time and it's still the same, then you know that, ah, this is just yeah. what the track's like. So that chicane that they hated last year, I, I think that's just going to stay now, mm -hmm. that really slow one. Um, and then it goes... Um, the, the, well, the quote, mistake generator, that didn't generate any mistakes. <laughs> yes, exactly. everybody off. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but you get a lovely view of the overpass as you go through there. Mm -hmm. So like, it's turnpike. 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 I, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, the highway. And Kevin was like, no. and then and then and then Meg was like, is every is every highway in Florida called a turnpike? And then she got way more Florida highway knowledge than she bargained for. I got I a lot of turnpike info. I wasn't able to get on Florida's turnpike the other day because it was closed for some reason. And but I was still just uh, sat there in the car, just enjoying the fact that it was called Florida's turnpike. <laughs> is it Florida's only turnpike? It is. Mm -hmm. It goes all the way. You can basically take it to Gainesville, Florida which I don't know why you'd want to go. I was about to um, say, do I want to? Tom Petty was there. He left. Um, he wrote American Girl, referenced some, some stuff there. And then got um, out. And then got out. And then it, it becomes 75 right there. And then you can take that all over America. Incredible. So you can get out of Gainesville. Oh, right. Respect to Tampa, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Meg, anything else? Um, I just wanted to shout out Kevin Magnuson and yes. uh, America's lone Formula One team, given that our lone Formula One driver did not do so well today. Um Obviously, he is only in fourth because of of the red flag, but has to be very exciting for Haas to do well at at one of their now three home races, I guess. And I don't expect that he will last very long in that position, but it's exciting to see them doing a smidge better than they have been lately. I think it depends on whether that car chews its tires up like it has done at a couple of races this year, because the car's quick here. Um, there, there wouldn't have been fourth. You're right without without. <laughs> what happened um <laughs> but I, I genuinely think uh, nico hulkenberg underperformed and not necessarily his own fault he got he was really annoyed at um what happened at the end of q2 he felt yeah. he got blocked which then meant he wasn't ready to start his lap properly and that stopped him getting through into the top 10 nico had been really fast fast just a bit faster than kevin i think they i think there's every chance they could have snuck one car into maybe, maybe sixth or seventh mm -hmm. for, for, for sure because i think I can't believe I'm saying this, the Haas is quicker than the Mercedes this weekend. Wow. And I think over one lap, I think it can be quicker than the Alpine. And then you've got, then, okay, so if you say you've got the two Ferraris, the two Red Bulls, you've got only got one Aston Martin up there because mm -hmm. Lance Stroll was out in Q1, which was a shock. I think there could have been a Haas sixth or seventh. But the problem is that car is generally better in quality than it is sure. in the race. So I think you're right. I think uh, my favorite expression for something like this when a car's out of position is I think Kevin will be fighting gravity uh, <laughs> tomorrow. He will, he will slip down. That's a good one. Prediction time. Meg? Um, I think Checo will win. I think it, unless, well, I guess this all depends on if we get weather tomorrow. And that, this was something By Lewis the way, the was, wind, the wind the was wind a big today, factor today. I don't know if you heard some of the chatter. The wind today was a big factor. Lewis was openly hoping he said after that he hopes the heavens open tomorrow because that's the only chance he's going to have of rapidly moving up the grid and of people making I, I'm opening, big mistakes. I'm, I will say I don't see any rain in the forecast, but I am opening the, the Apple Apple weather app. <laughs> wind wind icons Ooh. for 2, 3, 4 until basically 6 p.m. So that'll, that'll be interesting. I, I know that Checo has not been as fast as Max this weekend, but if Max gets stuck behind some cars, if wind is a factor... And if Checo can get out into clear air um, while Max is fighting through all of that, I have a hard time betting against him, especially if he thinks he can take the championship lead with this. I think we might be sleeping on Fernando Alonso. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought about that. I think I, I think the big test for Fernando is going to be holding second off the line. 
he's on the dirty side of the grid and and the the difference with that new surface is really significant it looks i think at the start of the weekend uh, i think it was checo said that it felt like driving in the wet off, uh, offline when it was so dirty so hopefully Fernando can get the thing off get, get the thing going but um, I don't think he's necessarily a match for Checo um, in a straight fight just because the Rebel is quicker than the Aston by a few temps in the race mm-hmm. but I think this track absolutely has the potential to throw up a safety car or mm-hmm. some kind of disruption and I think if Fernando can get track position I think the prospect of finally winning it's nearly I think next week is 10 years since he last won a Grand Prix wow so you know, what were you doing ten years ago? Uh, I was just starting my professional journalism career because this is my tenth year in motorsport journalism. So you, I, no, I knew the answer to that off the top of my head. Were you in Columbia, Missouri? <laughs> I was. I was in college. I would have been a junior in college. No, sophomore in college. Uh, twenty thirteen. It was actually a bottom five year for me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was not a good year. I mean, it was fine. It wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. It was just not. It wasn't. It was a bottom bottom mm-hmm. five. Bottom five. But uh, it was good for Alonzo. So it's fine. Um, all right. Well, uh, I'm going to pick, I think, chaotic grid. I think leads to chaotic race mm-hmm. with a track that I think is going to, as you said, Scott, it's going to kind of behave unpredictably because we don't know. I mean, like there was a thing when they, the, the broadcast talked about this during Q3 about how there's really no data points on the track at all. And so you're really just projecting out, and some teams mm-hmm. think they have an edge, and sometimes they think they don't. I think it's going to be a mess tomorrow. I think it's going to be a mess. I think Leclerc, you know, doing that is just the tip of the iceberg. I think Carlos Sainz wins this race. <sighs> I think he's going to be up front. I think, and, and I think that there's going to be. Uh, I just pre- I predict chaos, and it's the kind of race that 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 I just someone comes out of nowhere and it's sad almost to me that a Ferrari is that type of driver where it's like, Oh, it's going to be crazy tomorrow. A Ferrari might win. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm just going to go with the wild card on that because I just don't see much logic on this grid right now. I don't, can we just Scott as, as someone who, who just sort of knows a lot more than me, like Verstappen on this track starting ninth, like the chances are what? Oh, really good. Okay. Yeah, one yeah. of us should have picked. He's going to win. We're he's definitely going to win. We are idiots. Like one of us, win. absolutely. He's the safe. He's actually. I was going to say the safe pick. I think his chances of winning from there are only marginally worse than Checo's. From what are the from betting Paul. odds? Oh, good question. I just searched betting odds. Like that was going to bring anything up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So Sergio Perez is minus one ten. Max Verstappen is second favorite at plus one seventy-seven. Fernando Alonso is plus eight hundred. Ooh, it's yeah. quite quite a steep steep jump there. Uh, Red made. Bull Red Bull to win is minus five hundred. Yeah, that seems right. That sounds about right. <laughs> that seems right. The the, <laughs> uh-huh. the the betters do not do not like my chaos prediction. <laughs> we're all, we're all set here. <laughs> um, shout out to there were two people. So Lewis always has security, obviously. He's just got people with him all the time in every city for obvious reasons. Extra security today. And it's possible that Bezos has this all the time, but Bezos had, obviously, a, a crowd of, of security guards as he came in. The person with the most security in the paddock today, Daniel Ricardo, you Not bet. an F1 driver, but so famous anywhere <laughs> that he had to have a huge, huge pack of security guys as if it were 
Michael Jordan, 1993. Shout out to Andrew Ricardo for living the, the greatest life in the world. He also, he just has nowhere to be on a day like today. That's part of the problem is like he needs security because he doesn't have the excuse of, obviously he has obligations with Red Bull. He needs to be in the garage. But the problem is, is like Leclerc can be like, I'm leaving, I'm going now. Ricardo's got no excuse. He just, he just, <laughs> he just needs security to, when he just stands in the middle of the paddock. I bumped into him this morning on the way into the track and just had a little bit of a chat just to catch up. Just said to him, it's uh, nice to see how much you're enjoying yourself I just said like you look a lot happier um and he was like yeah uh, I think people think maybe I'm a bit too happy and don't want to come back but I'm like no no like I, I, I want to come back but I joked to him and said because yesterday I saw him he came out of uh, Red Bull Hospitality to do a little thing for one of the Sky channels um did that TV thing it ended then he turned around and then went right go over there and then he did another TV thing for like a minute or two and then he'd finished that and then as he turned around someone said oh have you seen these you've seen these F1 things around the paddock the the remote like iPad on a yeah. stick yep. thing that rolls around like iPad on yeah, a Segway kind of thing yeah so that's that's to give opportunities to people that can't be here the chance to look around the paddock um and then so it was like oh can you do a quick meet and greet with the person that's on the other side of this and then he's waving around and then he just got like dragged back to somewhere else and I said to him you look like every time you step out of anywhere you're just <laughs> mobbed and he went and he said yeah I think um there's more people want to speak to me now because yes. they don't think I'm doing anything that's a guess that yeah, was my so, theory I'm, he so, confirmed the theory that I came <laughs> up with as I saw him swarming swarmed by fans and security and I, I do think people think he's more approachable now sure because he's sure. Not, not an F1 driver mm -hmm. and he's not happy or sad and like uh, reacting to anything even though as we joked about Leclerc even after his crash yesterday people were still like hey man can I get a quick selfie <laughs> but there's still an air of like okay this guy's very busy yeah exactly whereas Ricardo he's just talking to robots on with selfie sticks <laughs> and TV cameras and TV cameras <laughs> on TV cameras between Christian Horner and Daniel Ricardo, does Sky Sports have any other programming than than the two two guys wearing Red Bull polos they have soccer that's a great question the, you know I they must have been so thrilled when Red Bull ended their their fake Sky Sports remember boycott that? last year that was great that was great <laughs> what a moment um, that lasted for I think like six days it was for sure less than a week well One I mean, sure less Christian than a week. Horner is like he was chomping at the bit to get back on camera. He probably was just like, he had pre-taped bits and he was like, let's just get these out when, let's just, I'm going to talk to them and then we'll get them out when the boycott ends. They're doing some stuff this week, um, just F1 in general, where they've had like events where everyone's meant to go and you put people in place. There's a grid ceremony before the race where they do introductions. And I'm told that when um, this information made it to Red Bull, like, okay, you know, the drivers are going to do this and stuff like this. The response back was basically right okay where's christian gonna be in where is christian <laughs> gonna the be 21 drivers on the grid <laughs> where is christian going to be oh i just i love it i absolutely love it um total wolf is scootering at high speed through the paddock he is no longer i felt as if so i felt as if um and maybe i'm just reading into this too much but there's an old, there's a college football recruiting guy who said a couple of years ago, uh, and I, I think about it all the time, that college football coaches can't be jerks because everybody is somebody's cousin. Everybody is somebody, you know, they're a teammate with, you know, the, of some high four star who they're going to need in five years. Their son's going to, you know, they might be a five, six running back, but their son might end up being a six, seven defensive end in 20 years. And you, you got to shake the hand, right? And I've always felt like... Um, team principals have to give time to everybody in the paddock because somehow they've paid tons of money and they might be the nephew of the Aramco CEO. So we're just going to hug it out. And so you see Fred, you see Christian, you see that. And Toto this year actually now is just going at high speed throughout it. He's not in, I feel like last year he was much more into the, um, 
celebrity taking photo. I don't think he's, you know, he's in the celebrity lifestyle or whatever, but I do think that last year he was a bit more of a mayor of the paddock. And now I, I've barely seen him this year. Yeah, there's a, definitely a bit of a, a shift and you can see some team principals like, and or some senior team figures like to be sort of front and center. And I think Toto has been guilty of that in the past when yes. things have been a bit better. But I would say like, I, it doesn't surprise me when I see like Zach Brown cozying up to someone because he's a commercial guy. Right, like sure. he, he knows he's, he's he's always greasing palms. Like that's just the way it is. But I would also say like if I was gonna guess like which team Elon Musk turned up to and which team person he yeah. was then pictured next to, like ten times out of ten, I'm picking Red Bull and Christian <laughs> Horner. Like that mm -hmm. just did not surprise me in the slightest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And you see, like even Fred Visser, I was in the paddock earlier and he was at right at the headquarters and there were clearly a couple of fans who were kind of milling about and he just kind of, it looked like he just kind of took three steps to his left so they could take photos with him. And there's obviously, it's almost like being a politician. You know, you just have to understand that there's people there and they're waiting to take a photo with you and just, just do it. And I think the team, team principals are probably see themselves more as representatives where I promise you, Charles Leclerc, if he was three steps from being in in public, would not have walked three steps to his left to take a photo with it with a guy wearing a Ferrari Pope hat. I don't remember Fred Vasseur being this in demand last year. I wonder what happened. <laughs> I wonder what happened. No New gigs. Exactly. I mean, New gig. No, no one really cares about Salva. <laughs> um, same with Leclerc, by the way. Scott, where can we find your work? On uh, therace.com. Don't forget the hyphen. Therace.com. Part of The Athletic. Uh, you guys do some of the best podcast work anywhere other than here. Yeah, exactly. I saved my best for guest appearances such as this. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, buddy. This has been the Ringer After One Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for production help in person for the second episode in a row. See you tomorrow after the race. Are we going to have a guest, Meg, or are we just going to let it ride? It's a good question. Let's play it by ear. Maybe uh, depending on, Stappen, depending we'll on how crazy it is. In we may the need TV it. internet room in the Southwest <laughs> press box of Dolphin Stadium. <laughs> See you then. <laughs>